because I live in Texas. So the way we make tea and the way you make tea is very, very different. I have heard, yeah. <laughs> they, we put like a gallon of sugar into our pitchers of tea. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's all sweet tea, uh, like Texan sweet tea. Some people may disagree with me, but I like my sweet tea where it's like almost like a, like syrupy. As you drink it, you can feel your blood coagulate. <laughs> like a little bit, a little bit saturated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so much, so it's so much sugar and you have to do, you have to pour the sugar in while the water is boiling so that way it can dissolve more. Yeah. There's a whole chemistry behind it. It is, we take our sweet tea very seriously. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, folks. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Today, I'm really excited to introduce our guest of the day. This is Sam John. Thank you so much for being here, Sam. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice to be here. How long have you been playing D&D? Several years now. I'm about seven years, actually, probably, yeah, around that, give or take a, a few months. <laughs> and then how long have you been DMing? Pretty soon after my first um, experience of D&D. Just because I had so many ideas, I was just really wanting to do them, but I didn't really have the, the books or the dice or anything like that. Did you just do it like online? Well, I had a friend who introduced me to it when I was in mid-comprehensive school. And I asked them about how they found the books and things like that. And me being a, a 15-year-old, not having much money at all, <laughs> and seeing how expensive the books were kind of broke my heart a bit. But... I kind of asked my friend to come over one day and just write down like the very, very bare bones of what you needed, just like base statistics and, and weapons and a couple of spells. And I, I ran a few sessions like that and they, they were just so fun. But I did feel like I needed to kind of slowly invest some kind of money into, into the, ju just the player's handbook and, and things like that. I think they're very helpful in running my own sessions. Have you only ever played 5e then? My friend who introduced me to it actually did 3.5. I don't know if um, you feel the same way, but I, I feel like 3.5 is a lot more complicated than 5e. That has been general consensus. Mm. But 3.5 seems to be like the magic. That seems to be like next to 5e, 3.5 seems to be the one that people love the most. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They kind of went from 3.5 and then 4th edition, which was kind of this weird... <laughs> I never hear anything about, I think this is the first I've ever heard about fourth edition. No, but it's just like that embarrassment maybe that like, we, we just don't bring it up. We don't bring up 4E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of the weird cousin. <laughs> I never played 5E. I didn't get to, I'm a D&D &D baby, so I, I never got to play any of the others. I have gotten to play several other RPG games recently. Call of Cthulhu, and I've played Cyberpunk. Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played either of those, but I, I've seen lots of, you know, critical role stuff about Call of Cthulhu and, you know, the Orcs cast do a lot of cool Call of Cthulhu and things like that. It is um, terrifying. I broke the necklace I was wearing because uh, we did, <laughs> we all dressed up to play it. Oh, wow. It was so much fun. It was amazing. We all dressed up and I had like this like string of pearls and the DM who ran it was just incredible. He's oh, such wow. a gem. Oh, actually, it's my co-host for the Forever DM. It's Pippin. He uh, right. one who ran it, and he does such a good job with horror that I did. I I shattered the necklace I was wearing because I was so scared. <laughs> well, that is the only way to play, you know, period drama. Mm -hmm. You you got to dress up. 
you got to have some kind of period clothing, I guess. I love yeah. dress. I'm yet to dip my toes into cosplay. However, I'm down for a good dress up. So I think that it could be a blast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've done a bit of cosplay and all of that. And yeah, it is definitely fun. So I'd recommend it. <laughs> what campaign are you currently running? I'm running a campaign right now, which is kind of set in this. It's, it's very inspired by things like The Adventure Zone, their first D&D arc, which is kind of like, it's fantasy, but there's a lot of modern references and like, you know, there's trains and, and technology and things like that. But it's very, it's still very much fantasy. Like there's still wizards and magic and things like that. And I think that has a very interesting dynamic. It's kind of almost Terry Pratchett-esque or a little bit like She-Ra and the Princess of Power. I just finished she I'm not ready to talk about it. All the tears. <laughs> <laughs> it is a show, and I really love the, the feel of it as well. So I really wanted to incorporate that into my game. It's kind of got hints of Norse mythology and um, it, it uses some of the, the Dragonlance gods as well and things like that. And yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite kind of campaign settings that I've done. So do you prefer homebrew over module then? I do prefer to have the wider picture of the campaign that I'm running to be homebrew. However, I, I do love to kind of take aspects of pre-modular things. Like the, the arc that I'm running at the minute is based off of one of the adventures from the Wildmount book from Critical Role. Um, oh, yeah, the, the Tal'Dorei one. Or Wildmount, excuse me, Wildmount. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the one that was based around Palmaflora. And there's like lots of fish people and, and it's based in a very tropical setting. And I really like that. So I kind of sent my players off onto this, um, this tropical resort where they were kind of getting a bit of a beach episode. <laughs> and then suddenly they're beset upon by fish people with, with horrible, with sharp tridents. And yeah, that's where we've left off at the minute. What a DM move. Like, you know what? It's been kind of rough lately. Here's a beach. Have a fun easygoing session just kidding here are the fish people yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh, let them get their guard out. i remember one of my first sessions like i had set my players up the characters up and i was like okay like you're gonna be running from these things and i gave them this field this beautiful little meadow i gave them this to have a place to rest and they were they had all the suspicion they're like we don't trust it we must keep moving we cannot stay here and i was like no there are things ahead you need to rest here and they were like no we don't trust it oh yeah that does come a point when your players just don't trust you at all <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i have to like message people afterwards especially if it's been like a heavy session i'm like hey we're good right that was all in the game you still love me we're still friends <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I, I sometimes like do that in my sessions as well. Like I, when I'm dungeon mastering, I sometimes like trip over my words a bit. And sometimes if I'm trying to do a bit of a lore dump or anything like that, I, I sometimes mess up how I, how do you say it? Like the, the chronological order of like this lore dump or whatever. So I have to like go back and kind of explain it to them properly of a messenger just to make sure I've got it all right. <laughs> uh, we got super lucky with that. So um, the Forever DM is kind of like the sidecar to our big campaign, which is Clash of Quests. And mm. with Clash of Quests, one of our DMs or players, they're 
one and the same. <laughs> he is super into that like detailed amount of like hard world building. And he took, he made a spreadsheet and like listed out all the years in like the lore. And he was like, this is the year this character was born. And this is the year this character was born. And this was the year these two characters met. And then also threw in like the historical stuff. And he's like, this way, none of you can get it wrong in my world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I've definitely made a document for my world, but I haven't, I haven't made a, a spreadsheet and I haven't gone into that amount of detail with you know with the lore lives that. for that detail it blows my mind i was recently having a conversation some people some dms really like that hard world building of all the way around you know the the lore and the history and the exchange rate of money and trade items and then other people really like the soft world building which like you know the characters and the npcs and I, I definitely think I fall somewhere in between because I, I only have so much energy for, for world building. But if, if I get on a, a good tangent, like if I'm there with my word document or whatever, I, I, I kind of find myself sometimes just getting lost in it. You know? Yeah, there have definitely been times, especially when I first started and I was doing all my prep work and I'd look up and I'd be like, holy cow, it's been four hours. <laughs> yeah, I definitely spent a lot of my, uh, my lockdown time doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this lockdown has been ridiculous for my D&D &D brain group. <laughs> that portion of my brain, honestly, that portion of my brain, it's kind of like a, uh, uh, like a parasite in the best way possible because it just slowly keeps taking over more and more of my brain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I was laying awake last night and I was, hmm, D&D, &D, what can I do in my next session? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that's kept me awake more than once. <laughs> so <laughs> since you pull inspiration from so many different places, would you consider yourself more of a prepper or more of an improv? I think definitely more of a prepper. Um, I, I find myself kind of using up more energy than I than I need to if I'm improving, and I kind of lose my train of thought a lot if I'm improving. It's nice to have a lot of solid documents out in front of me that I can kind of refer to. But in terms of like character character encounters with each other or with npcs or anything like that i kind of tend to let that go to improv and things like that but yeah it's always good to have some kind of documents in front of me i think <laughs> i think if it's my campaign i like to prep it but i also like to do a lot of one shots where i like to see almost use it as like an improv i mean all dming is just an improv exercise but i like to use yeah. one shots even more so so i'll just have like a monster and kind of what it's doing and then I like to improv the rest of it out. I guess it like encounters like that they're kind of more open to, to improving and things like that yeah I suppose so. But I, I do agree with you on 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 uh, campaigns on campaigns I like to to prep it out. I guess it, it is a good exercise for DMs to kind of just have a session where you just improv everything and just go for something like that. For me personally sometimes if I'm thinking on my feet sometimes I can just freeze and I don't want to freeze, like I want to keep the things going. So I yeah. like to use them too as that, that little practice. I'll, sometimes I'll tell my players like, I don't know what's going to happen. Or sometimes I like don't tell them and I wait to the end. I'm like, D could you tell? Could you tell that I was bluffing my whole way through that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sometimes like to do that. Like, I'm the worst at telling on myself. I honestly need to learn to just keep my mouth shut. But <laughs> I do, I tell on myself every time. I'm like, I didn't even know that was going to happen. And I should just play it cool. Like, yeah, I totally had all that planned out. Yeah, definitely. Just just own it. Like, 
but I get so excited and so I'm like, guys, guys, it was all a surprise. I didn't even know. Yeah, I'm so bad about that. I mean, that's going to be my next thing to get past on top of, I laugh. I laugh during the game. I'm not good at keeping that straight face. I don't have a good poker, I don't have a good poker DM face yet. <laughs> I, I tend to not have a good poker face either. I kind of like, I try to get into character, but then I kind of just chuckle to myself if the character's funny, if they're a bit too serious. I try to get into the character and then most of the time it just doesn't work out like that. <laughs> I just end up going back to my regular voice. <laughs> you drop the voices pretty quickly? I, I try to keep them up as long as I can, but sometimes it's not that easy, especially if I'm doing an accent. My accents tend to change. I usually keep doing an accent, mm. but they change. It might start English and end Russian and then somewhere in the middle with some Scottish. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much standard, I think. I, I tend to do more impressions of people that I, I know of rather than actually think of original voices for them, I guess. Like, I, I don't know, I, I, I might pick some character from some cartoon and then kind of mix them a little bit with a, another character from something else and kind of just use that as the basis of my voice. Blend characters that you already know of. That's smart. Yeah. Do you have a favorite NPC that you've ever made? I do I do have a, a favorite NPC. Their name is uh, Mr. Tibsy. They are a, a two foot tall um, silvery lizard person with big black eyes and they've got this kind of little leather waistcoat and they are the uh, the guild master for my current campaigns like mercenary slash adventurers guild which the players are all a part of so he's kind of like the mentor figure and he's kind of old and wise but he's really cute and i, I just love him <laughs> you had me at mr tibsy that's adorable yeah. <laughs> there's kind of like hints that he's like super powerful really really scary but he really doesn't come across as like super scary or anything like that. He just comes across as this little tea drinking wizard lizard. who's just, I don't know, just a little sweetheart. <laughs> so in our, in our Clash of Quest group, we have um, two Englishmen. And uh, so I like to pick on them for their tea and how they drink tea. Because I live in Texas. So the way we make tea and the way you make tea is very, very different. I have heard, yeah. <laughs> they, we put like a gallon of sugar into our pitchers of tea. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's all sweet tea, uh, like Texan sweet tea. Some people may disagree with me, but I like my sweet tea where it's like almost like a, like syrupy. As you drink it, you can feel your blood coagulate. <laughs> like a little bit, a little bit saturated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so much so it's so much sugar and you have to do you have to pour the sugar in while the water is boiling so that way it can dissolve more. Yeah. There's a whole chemistry behind it. It is we take our sweet tea very seriously. However, um, I am going to Europe next year and I am so excited to try real tea. And okay. I yeah. just I didn't I just learned that you guys put milk in tea. I didn't realize that you could put milk in tea. Yeah. Yeah, a little a little dash of milk doesn't doesn't do any harm. You know? I, I never knew about that. I kind of boggled my mind for a minute. It depends on the tea. Like if you're getting some kind of fruity tea or anything like that, you don't really want to put milk in that, but You wouldn't put like yeah. tea. You wouldn't put milk in like green tea. No. No, you wouldn't do that. All right. That, okay. 
that would be an abomination. <laughs> Even more so than my sweet tea? Oh, well, if it's, if it's his own thing, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. of tea, you know, I guess it kind of works out. If it's like a, a sweet tea, you know, you know, make it how you want. I'm not a big tea fanatic, but... To each their own. What would you consider to be your niche? Like some DMs are better at combat others prefer the lore and things like that what would you feel like your niche is i feel like i'm kind of thinly spread over a lot of areas <laughs> i feel like i'm like the bard dm kind of is a <laughs> jack of all trades but master of none you know <laughs> <laughs> i think if i had to really pick one it would probably be the law I'm, I'm quite good at making up law for worlds but then actually doing it in game is completely other but yeah i think the law is definitely my my niche like it's 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 just really fun to like make up all of this interesting stuff. And because it's your world, you, you can just kind of make it how you want, really. And, and once you get something that you really love and you really love writing about, then that's when you really got, get like really excited to share it with your players. But then they're not far enough in the story yet that you can tell them, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's definitely... A struggle. I, I know it's a lot. It's a big struggle for a lot of DMs. Where like they get so excited, and they're like, "Look at all the things that I made," and try to <laughs> cram it down their players' throats too quickly. And I think that's also like one of the sad parts about being a lore DM is so much of it never gets used. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I know my friend Connor, who is also a, a dungeon master. He he always like says, "Oh, you completely just bypassed this whole thing that I made." <laughs> And then we were like, oh no, we can we can go back. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But he, he he's also a bit of a lordy M now, I think. But he's very good in general. Um, yeah, I think a, a danger with being a lordy M as well is a bit like railroading your players a bit. Yeah. That that can be quite a big danger. Like I know that looking back on some of the, the earlier games that I ran. Maybe it didn't matter so much back then because we were all younger and we were all just looking for like a cool little adventure that, that we wanted to go on. But now that we're, me and my friends are all a bit older, we're kind of looking for a bit more freedom and a bit more exploration and a bit more like consequences to actions and things like that. And I think that railroading can be the, the death of that a bit. Like I, I kind of did that when I was in my younger stages of being a DM where I'd kind of just make an adventure and I foolishly did not anticipate that my players would have completely other different ideas and go to this place that I hadn't <laughs> prepared at all. And then I'd get stressed out and it, it would all go downhill from there. So I'd kind of tr try and keep them on track as much as possible, which kind of, it, it can work out well if the story's really good, but it's always nice to have a bit of freedom as, as a player to go and do what you want and have something waiting for you when you do it. So what do you do then when the players decide we want to, like, you've prepped A and B, but they want to go to Q. How, how would you handle that? Well, earlier I mentioned that I try improving. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, I think that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I default to, really. And I kind of just very quickly think up a, a, an NPC with a goofy voice who inevitably becomes a, a party favorite who must become a recurring character later on. Every time. <laughs> But yeah, there's been so many instances of that where I've kind of just had to like, be like oh God, there's there's a, a gnome 
his name is Frederick and he is a warlock or whatever and, and he sells you two potions in a nutshell. So you just kind of let them go with it. I think a big thing that a lot of DMs have been talking about lately is that it's not your story and they're playing in it. It's their story and you're narrating it. Absolutely, yeah. I don't really think the DM is a, is a storyteller. I think they're more of a rule keeper, like a referee. Like, so they are the person that you talk to, to say, oh, can I do this? And you kind of, you know, look over the rules. You say, yeah, sure, you can do that. Usually I give a little bit of lenience to the rules. Like I say, oh, yeah, fine, yeah, go for it. If, if they're doing something that's a little bit outside of the rule book, I'm just like, yeah, go for it, you know? Like, I don't want to hold up the fun by being a stickler for rules. You use the rule of cool? Yeah. If I can't be asked to look for the the, the rules in page 300 and whatever of the player's handbook, I'm not going to hand them about it. I'm just going to say, yeah, do this and roll this dice and add this many. I try to just keep it rolling. Yeah, a lot of times I try to do, like, if I think it's one thing or say, like, some one of my players is like, well, actually, I think the rules is more like this. I try to, like, keep the story going, and I'm like, okay, we're going to do it this way. I'll look it up. And I, I try to alternate between my, my way and their way and mm. so to make it fair. And I'll say, okay, we're going to do it this way this time. I'll look it up after session, and then we'll do it that way next time. Yeah, that seems like a good way to do it, yeah. Just kind of say, okay, I didn't know that, so can we do it this way for now? And then when I get a chance, yeah, look it up, and that's a really good way to do it. (laughs) Well, that way you don't get, like, bogged down with so many books to look up rules in. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and especially if you've made up your own rules for for certain things, if you've, like, homebrewed an item or something like that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and a lot of things like that, I'll, like, come up on spots. I'm like, hey, let's make a note of this so we can remember this is how night hags operate in this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so do you have a favorite monster then? Like kind of like a go-to monster or one of like your like all-time favorites? Oh, uh, well, w- whenever I'm starting off a campaign or if I'm running a, a one-shot for, for people who haven't really played D&D before or anything like that, it's always got to be goblins, I think. Goblins, <laughs> all right. I do love a good goblin and a, and a good bugbear. I have not used bugbears yet, but I am a fan of the goblin. Yeah, they, they are. Their voices are so much fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy little guys that just run around shooting arrows at you. Especially now that I'm more comfortable with all of it. When we first, when I, when I first started my first campaign, I had never played D&D before, as well as most of my other players had never played D&D before. So to like do the voices, I got really, really nervous. This is kind of silly and I felt really silly, but now it's been long enough and I've played enough that I'm much more comfortable with it. And I'm like, here are these really insane voices that I would never do. Honestly, no, I take that back. I do do them in real life. I can do <laughs> voices now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My poor fiance and my son, they all the time, they're like, can you just, you know, have like a normal conversation? And I just... <laughs> D&D's heads just really brought out the weird in me. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, it's, it's kind of got me talking to myself in my room, just like in these weird voices that I'm, I'm practicing voices for NPCs. Yes. And stuff. You have to practice. Yes, I, I totally understand that. Whenever I would drive to, before the pandemic and I would drive to work, I'd just spend the whole car ride talking to myself in these terrible voices. <laughs> <laughs> do this where nobody can hear me (laughs) just take up some voice acting classes or something like that 
even if I'm not gonna planning on going into the industry to just to do better voices in D and D. Just yes, yeah. I've been I've been trying to look up like videos, and I recently heard about a thing called Masterclass, which is like a you can take all these really cool classes. Ooh. It's, yeah, it's just like a monthly subscription, but you can learn a writing class from Arl Stein, yes. Or you yeah. can take a cooking class with Gordon Ramsay or an acting class with Natalie, I think it was Natalie Portman. Oh, right. And so they have all these really cool classes. I'm like, oh, I wonder if anyone would do a voice acting class because that would wow. be so cool to do. It would probably end up being Matt Mercer, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be the greatest. Or even Liam O'Brien, like, ugh. All of their voices are just so good. Yeah, and yeah, they're, they're all fantastic voice actors, aren't they? Have you ever had uh, any uh, trouble with the Mercer effect? What's the Mercer effect? So the Mercer effect is a, it's kind of like a new thing that's, I mean, not real. I guess it's not like new, new, but a lot of people are coming into D&D because of Critical Role. So they watch Critical Role and they see Matt Mercer, who is they see these voice actors and these professional DM, uh, D&D players and they expect their games to go the same, you know, to be the same and mm. to have that same kind of feel. Right, okay. I think I, I'd started D&D a little bit before Critical Role was really out and about, but definitely when I had started watching it, I definitely felt like I needed to up my game more. <laughs> Um, I just, I, yeah, I felt like I needed to do all the voices like professionally and like just not professionally, but like better than how I was doing them and, and like plan my games out more and do them weekly almost. And for someone at my age at the time, I probably would have been about 16, 17 when that, like when I first started watching it and oh my gosh, like, like I, I wouldn't have been able to do it weekly at all. <laughs> so yeah, I think I did suffer from it for a, for a bit, but then you know, I kind of figured that I needed to stop trying to be as good as Matt Mercer and and Critical Role and all of that and kind of just try and do it at my own pace, do stuff that makes me happy rather than trying to act like someone else, I guess. Absolutely. And that's what, I mean, it's, it's a game. It should be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah bottom line, it is a game. <laughs> it's a game, it should be fun. However, that being said, sometimes being a DM just requires so much extra that fun becomes a little bit, <laughs> sometimes it's kind of like, all right, I've got to do this one part that I don't really want to do. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, it's Definitely. map drawing. I hate map drawing. <laughs> I yeah. it. Yeah. My campaign has had a month off because we had like a, a big, we had a Father's Day here most of my players had to work and then some of our other players eloped and got married. So we took a month off and mm. we have our first session this weekend. And I had a whole month to draw maps, maybe even like a month and a half to draw maps. <laughs> Here it is. What is today? Friday. And I still have not drawn my maps for Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that like battle maps or like world maps or? Yes. <laughs> okay. it's a uh, yeah I, I i've been running this campaign with my friends for about two years and the world still doesn't have a map so i, I don't think it's entirely necessary you just kind of point out where everything is roughly you know this is north that, and things like that and really i mean it's our, so i'm running curse of strahd so the maps are already done 
I just have to draw them bigger. I have a very large party, so I usually have to make my maps bigger so that they can uh -huh. all fit. Otherwise, we get stuck in a hallway. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I struggled with early on as well. Like, not gauging how big my groups would be and then creating just this tiny little room that they would all struggle to fit in, let alone fight in. Yeah, I um, have a party of eight for Curse of Strahd. And I think that was my first DM mistake because I, as a person, am so extroverted that I was like, all of the people, yeah, let's do it. Let's do all the people. And then I learned how hard it is to run a party of eight. I love it. Like, I wouldn't change it. I love my party. But having a party of eight is a struggle. I think the most I DM'd with was seven, so... Yeah, I kind of, I kind of know the the feeling. It is great fun while it's happening, but then afterwards you kind of feel a bit drained. <laughs> like my current campaign only has about four people in it, and that's that's if everyone is there. That's kind of the magic number for me. I think four four people for for a long running campaign anyway. That seems to be a lot of people feel like four is that magic number. Yeah, I just started a campaign started playing in a campaign before and it's different but all of the campaigns that i've played in have been larger our clash of quest is six people my curse of strahd is eight so like everything i i think i have another one that's five i think i have so many things going on <laughs> <laughs> my brain doesn't yeah. always keep but yeah so i've always played with more but playing with the four has been it's different like i i do enjoy it I think running running campaigns, I do like them to be larger, though. Each to their own. You could go back in time to baby Sam DM. What piece of advice would you give him? Definitely start small, I think. Like start with one town or one village or, or one city and just develop the hell out of it. Just really go to town with detailing this village as much as you can you know, give it a, a really, really nice inn where the party feels safe after going on their adventure. A good little woodland area where they can go on adventures or, like, not, not making anything too, like, obscure either. Like, have it clearly labelled as this is the blacksmith, this is the general goods store, but then make it, like, nicely detailed and have some good NPCs running them. Mm -hmm. And you could run a whole arc there just in that town while you're developing the rest of the, the surrounding area and then build out from there. When I was Babby DM, I, I was kind of set on developing this whole world right away. And that would just completely fry my motivation for actually running the game. <laughs> I, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I went way too hard at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot of problems that DMs, new DMs specifically have with creating worlds. But yeah, just start small and, and don't be afraid to use stuff that you've made, but the players haven't specifically explored. So if you made this whole encounter in the woods with some bears or whatever, and the players didn't go to it, that's fine, just pack it up and use it for later, you know? Maybe change the creatures or whatever. Oh, I like that. Like you can still use it later just because you don't get to use it immediately. Yeah, just definitely recycle it and change the location of it as well, like use it in, when they're in the the Arctic tundra or whatever, like pull out that encounter, but just change them for, for polar bears. 
and and don't be afraid to integrate like pre-written stuff into your world as well so if say you accidentally give your players something that's op or your players start to become overpowered then mm. do you just up everything else in that world or do you find a way to take the players down a notch if i, I gave my players an item that i thought was okay at the time and then it, it turned out to be quite overpowered and made them kill all my my bosses and, and enemies really really easily i might start to give some drawbacks to that to that weapon or item that they're using like it would be just something subtle at first just like some sort of subtle narrative thing when when you go to sleep with this item nearby or like well it's attuned to you or whatever it starts to whisper in your ear and things like that and then maybe it'll start lowering your intelligence the more you use it or something like that mm. like, kind of drawbacks to it that kind of slowly come on so that kind of gives you some freedom to kind of give them this item let them play around with it see whether it's overpowered or not and then if it is then maybe add some drawbacks to it and then that can also add into your lore as well oh i like that okay that's a really i like that idea a lot do you feel like as a dm you get to help your players work through their own inner struggles what you mean like um like role playing and things like that Mm-hmm. Like through, like through the role play, you know, you're able to help them work out. Mm. Yeah, I occasionally I, I've run a few sessions with a bunch of people that I really like, and then and then one other person who might be a little bit nervous or anxious whilst playing, and you know, they they kind of start off quiet and a little bit withdrawn, and they they only really do stuff with their character when it comes to fights and it's like specifically their turn to do something which is fine that that's a completely valid way to play it but then I kind of slowly see them coming out of their shell a little bit more and they start like using a character voice and it's always really fun when that starts happening people kind of sort of come out of their shell like at different rates so like one person might be really really timid one session and then really really outgoing the next and, you know, that's all really valid ways to play. So it, I think that seeing D&D really kind of getting people to be more outward is definitely one of the things that I would say I see a lot when I'm DMing. Do you help encourage them to become a little bit more outward or do you let them do it at their own pace? Um, I tend to let them do it at their own pace. Um, if they're really struggling and they really like kind of aren't enjoying that much then I then I will like kind of message them afterwards and say how was that for you like is are you, are you having fun with this thing and and you know they, they might say well I might be struggling you know with role playing or figuring out my character sheet or, or whatever and I'm like okay that's fine and I kind of just sit down with them and, and have a little chat about it and usually that kind of that helps them a lot I think I used to be like that as a player and I used to be quite nervous and I sat down with my dungeon master at the time and just kind of explained this and it really helped to know that they knew that I was feeling nervous I think every player when they first start playing is going to be nervous to be honest and it's something that we've all been through so it's 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 not playing for the first time is, is not something to be you know anxious about literally everyone there is either going to be just as new as you or they've been through that phase when they have been just as new as you <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. I had a full-blown panic attack on the way to my very first game. <laughs> oh my 
gosh, yeah. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to play this game. I'm going to ruin the whole game for everybody else. And like, just really let that get inside my head. So that I think that would be really good to, to work with your players that you can tell are a little bit more anxious and just have that open, that private open communication with them. So I don't feel like they're on their, they're on the spot. They don't have to respond in front of everybody and be like, yeah, I'm really anxious. But having that private communication with each player to check in on them and see how they're doing with it, I think is a really good idea. Having that player dungeon master communication, like feeling like you can go to the dungeon master and talk to them about any issues that you might have with the session is also, I think, a pretty critical point of D&D. This part kind of moves into more of, it's less about Sam as a DM and more about Sam as a person. But if they bleed together, it's not a big deal. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you could recommend one book, movie, and TV series that you just absolutely love and really recommend. Well, my, my girlfriend has recently, not recently, about, about two years ago, recommended to me this book series called Realm of the Elderlings by um, Robin Hobb. And it is just fantastic. It, it's a fantasy series about this boy who is the bastard son of this royal family. And he is raised into that. And there's a lot of like fantasy elements and things like that. And it, it's, it's just really, really well written. And I absolutely love it. There's a bunch of other like kind of stories in it as well. So like you have, you follow this one character storyline and then like there's other stories within it. As well. The first book is called Assassin's Apprentice. And then like... The, the second trilogy is the uh, the live ship traders, I think it's called. And it's all about kind of like pirates and things like that. But it's all set in the same world. And like, yeah, my girlfriend's just finished reading them. And she's finding it really difficult to read anything else that's fantasy because she's <laughs> really the, the style of, of writing that's, that's come from these books. I, I definitely recommend that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It's really, really good. And what about a movie and a TV series? A movie and a TV series. Oh god, I don't really watch that many movies. I'd I'd always say, oh yeah, um, uh, Into the Spider Verse. I think is definitely something that I recommend. It's so good. The animation is incredible. So beautiful. My gosh, I could talk all day about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my six year old is convinced he's asked me at one point he goes mom how old will i be when the spider bites me and i get my powers <laughs> i think and that was me you didn't about. have the heart to tell him and i was like i have no idea buddy <laughs> <laughs> i'm always a favorite a tv series is it mm -hmm. this is a really difficult one because i i love a lot of tv series over the garden wall i think i'd have to settle on yeah i, I yeah, it's a it's a, a Cartoon Network show, and it's oh, when did it come out? About two thousand fourteen, I think. I think it came out. I'm not sure. Around then, and it's about these two boys that like go on all these like whimsical adventures in the woods and stuff. But then it's really, really spooky and creepy, like undertones to this really, really nice, bright and cheery an animation, and it's. It's really, really interesting. It's on Netflix. I, I definitely recommend it. It's like 10 episodes that are 10 minutes long. So you can watch it in about two hours, really. All the binging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
100%. (laughs) (laughs) I did that with the last season of She-Ra. I was like, I forgot. I was like, I forgot the new season was out. Oh, okay. And I watched it in like a day and a half. (laughs) Yeah, me and my girlfriend did that. We, we, We started watching it before lockdown. I think it was, I think it was last year. Watched it pretty fast, but then we kind of caught up and the new season wasn't out yet. Oh no. <laughs> itching to come out. And then when it did, we were kind of like, okay, we gotta we gotta save for this. We can't, we can't just you know binge it all in one day and then we ended up doing it in like about a week. It was such a good series. I love that series so much. It's definitely very high quality. It's good stuff. <laughs> Last question, which is mm-hmm. the most important, Dirty Dancing or Footloose? Well, here's the thing. I haven't seen either of them. <gasps> Perfect. <laughs> I uh, was wondering how long, how many interviews it would take me to get through somebody not seeing either movie. Yeah, I haven't seen either of them. <laughs> um, Beautiful. That is okay. I... I I know that Footloose has Kevin Bacon in it. It is Kevin and I, Bacon. And Dirty Dancing is Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, no, I I, I haven't really watched either of them, no. <laughs> okay. I, it was going to happen eventually. We have like a <laughs> side tally going on on uh, who votes for what. I'd never been asked that question before. And Pippin was like, hey, Natalie, Dirty Dancing or Footloose? And I was like, the audacity that you have to ask me <laughs> that question. And what was it? What did you pick? I picked Dirty Dancing. I picked Dirty Dancing. Uh, okay. Because yeah. Footloose, I mean, they're both good movies. I enjoy them both. Footloose is about like a whole town and they all start a movement. But Dirty Dancing has this one girl who's been told her whole life, like, she has to be a certain way, she has to look a certain way, act a certain way, and so it's about this one girl, like, revolting against everything that she's been taught her whole life, and it, I just love it. Anything (laughs) with, like, a strong female, fuck the man kind of thing, I'm about it. (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds awesome. Yeah, Yeah. they're both fantastic movies, but also just Patrick Swayze, anything Patrick Swayze is incredible. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today, Sam. And uh, you had some really good tips and all of them, every DM that we've interviewed has had different tips and different styles and MOs, maybe is the right word for that. But uh, mm-hmm. it's oh. been really fantastic to get to interview everybody and see how they all do everything. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, I've, I've had a wonderful time. Thanks for thanks for getting in touch with me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys, everybody else, for tuning in, listening. Don't forget, you can watch Clash of Quests every Saturday and watch six Forever DMs flounder their way through hell, basically. <laughs> thank you. Have a great morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time of day you're watching this. And don't forget... Nat 1s are just as fun as Nat 20s.